Hello and welcome to Super Excited with Stefan Roost. I'm Mike, the facilitator of this podcast. In this episode, Stefan talks to David Gerrard. David Gerrard is a UK-based writer, blogger, probably best known for being one of crypto's great haters. He documents the foibles and scams and even otherwise legitimate crypto projects as all part of the same grand illusion of easy money and con men. He's sought out for quotes by the press when anything goes wrong in crypto, and his work has appeared in venerable journals such as Foreign Policy. He's also the author of two books on crypto, Attack of the 50-Foot Blockchain and Libra Shrugged. In this episode, Stefan and David discuss Bitcoin, Celsius and Voyager, regulation in crypto and CBDCs. Enjoy this episode. Okay, hi everybody, super excited again, glad to be here. And today got a really special guest, um, an author, a renowned author, a contrarian author, especially in the industry that, that sort of we play around with or I play around with a lot. Um, and I'm excited to announce De David Gerard on the show, the author of a couple of books that um, are maybe, you know, sort of maybe I should let you share your books and, and what you've been writing about. I mean, they're definitely sort of crypto. Uh, you have a perspective on crypto that's very uh, opposing to my mine, and, and you have a different opinion on Facebook as well. So super excited to be talking with you here today. Thank you, David, for joining. And, and maybe you can share a bit of background on yourself, how you got to where you got to, and um, and if you're happy with sharing where you're based and how you came from your journey from one part of the world and living in another part of the world. Hi, uh, good afternoon. So I'm David Gerard. I am, well, these days I have somehow ended up with half a job as a cryptocurrency journalist. I also have a day job as a system administrator, but uh, keeps me busy. Um, I am the author of Attack of the 50-Foot Blockchain, a 2017 book about um, the subtitles Bitcoin, Ethereum, Blockchain, and Smart Contracts, which were the hot keyword items in that year. <laughs> I also wrote Libra Shrugged, which is about um, Facebook's attempt to do a cryptocurrency, Libra, um, which went nowhere for interesting reasons. Um, yeah, and I also do a blog, Attack of the 50-Foot Blockchain, which I've done for a few years now, basically um, news coverage. So if right. I say I'm a cryptocurrency journalist, it's from someone actually paid to do it. So, you know. Awesome. I'm awesome. Living, I live in London. I'm originally from Australia. Uh, I moved here, English wife and family. Um, so it's pretty <laughs> cool. No, great, great. So, I mean, you know, sort of one of the things I talk about a lot is this Generation G, right? And, and sort of I think that there is a generation out there of global citizens that have been born in one country or one part of the world and are actually now living and have adopted that sort of culture or nature in that other part of the world, but actually blend multiple different cultures into one because of having lived in multiple different geographies and multiple different nations. Um, yeah, but I think one of the things that sort of before I get into it, I'm just going to ask you sort of maybe a bit more of a personal question. So, um, but just one of the things I ask is I love reading. I love, I think it's really important that our readers learn. Um, and obviously you've written two books, but I'd love to sort of, sort of maybe you've read a separate book outside of 
um, the realms of crypto maybe that you really enjoyed reading and maybe why and why you really enjoyed it? Um, a lot of my reading tends to be remarkably on topic. Um, okay. Like the last book which I read, uh, the last book I actually read was the 2021 edition of Lying for Money by Dan Davies, which is his, okay. it's a really good book on financial fraud, which is, of course, okay. the most fascinating subject in the entire world. Yeah. So um, he's, that book has two editions, 2018 and 2021. I think you need both of them. He likes the 2021 edition more, I think, because his arguments are more sharpened. Yep. But basically, the later edition exists because his US publisher said, no one's heard of all these UK people, so write about Americans. Um, but if you get the, the UK edition, you get stories like the Cray Twins, the uh, famous gangsters in London in the 60s, and how they're equally fraudulent accountant was begging them not to write down all their crimes in a ledger book. You know, it turns out that doing crimes on a permanent ledger is not very smart. No. As many people have found out in Bitcoin and somehow they still keep doing it. And not only in Bitcoin, right? I mean, I think even Al Capone is, 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 is back, you know, as, as famous Absolutely. as that was, was done for accounting fraud because he lost his ledger. It's, um, yeah, tax fraud. It's, there are very few new frauds. Um, we see, unfortunately, cryptocurrency has quite a bit of fraud in it. Because uh, if you have government money that was invented to be protected from governments, that attracts two sorts of people. One is the very sincere libertarians who started it, and the other is crooks. Yeah. So the crooks moved in head first. And, um, then they discovered that doing crimes on a permanent ledger is not very smart <laughs> and they keep getting busted, but they keep doing it because, you know, there's so much money in it. Hey, who knows? They might, they won't find you until they do. It's, yeah, I mean, I, I, I love hubris. Yeah, no, no, definitely. I mean, I, I definitely have a slightly different opinion. I think not only is, you know, it, it's also transparent, right? So the blockchain, you can actually go and track all the movements from different wallet, wallets. You just oh, yeah. don't know actually who owns what wallet but over time you sort of get a big picture of wh who owns which wallet um etc right so so fraud is actually extent, difficult on the blockchain no um it depends the transparency like it has a useful aspect but think yep. of things like the recent collapse of cfi firms yep um people could see all the trades on the blockchain but it turns out the transparency didn't actually get us anything because Nobody cared while number was going up yeah. and while the good times were rolling and the collapse of, say, the UST stable coin. It was obviously nonsense. UST was priced in Luna. Luna was priced in UST. They were both made up tokens with a made up value. People said these things are worth a dollar because they were desperate for a dollar equivalent. And people were warning about it six months ahead of time and said, look, I can knock that over really easily. And Do Kwan said, oh, you're an idiot. I'm not talking to you. And then it happened exactly what they said. And now it's a terrible mess. And a whole lot of people have gone, oh, I've got hundreds of millions of holes in my account books. And the disaster is ongoing. People don't worry about the details while the times are good. And it's so good to clean up afterwards, but it's not so good at the time. At the time. No, no, I, I agree, right? And I think what was proven, though, throughout this whole period is that certain 
establishments in the decentralized world actually held their ground very strongly. You had lending protocols that really worked. They were very accurate. You could see all the transactions on chain. Uh, you could see the actual vaults and the value locked up in those vaults. And you could not withdraw the money until you actually provided the necessary liquidity in order to get your collateral back, right? And so there was- Or if you hacked it, of course. Or if you hacked it, that's true, that's true. Um, yeah. but, but fortunately, not all of them are hackable, right? But I think one of the interesting elements in all of this is if we contrast to what we have today in terms of money, in terms of fiat money, what's your view on that? And, and in terms of, you know, the reason why actually Bitcoin really came to shine was in the global financial crisis, right? Um, where governments were printing a lot of money. That money was not going back to the people that were actually out there. It was going to institutions and nobody went to jail for that whole crisis, if you think about it, right? Certainly uh, a lot more bankers should have gone to jail. Yeah. Um, I mean, as I understand it, Satoshi was working on Bitcoin before the actual yeah. um, crash, although... Yeah. He very much was on side with Bitcoin as being as justifying Bitcoin, the yep. famous Genesis block message about second bailout banks. Yeah. Um, but so somehow the cryptocurrency world went from that to doing its own small 2008. And when I say that, I'm speaking very precisely. I think it's very closely analogous. That is, you had a lot of over leveraged instruments like dollar tokens, where it was actually a token that was priced in a token that was priced in another token, and that was priced in actual dollars. This is exactly what money market funds did in 2008. That is, there was such a demand for dollars that they invented synthetic instruments worth a dollar. What are we backing with? The most secure thing in the world, houses. They'll never go down. Um, then buy bets on houses. Then buy bets on bets on houses. So, of course, the moment price went down even slightly, whole thing fell over. U US economy at risk because the funds collapsed, the companies depending on them suddenly had a hole, the companies depending on those companies suddenly had a hole, and the Fed had to spray around money like water just to keep the system working at all. I mean, they were at the stage of having to bail out um, Euro dollar bankers, who, yep. which is dollar denominated liabilities that never touched the Fed. Yep. They had to bail those out because they infected the dollar system by contagion. And they, that's why the US government is so overreaching in many ways in its jurisdiction. If you say you're dealing in dollars, they want to know about you. Right. 2008 is why. Um, yep. Even if it, I mean, so in crypto, they pretty much did the same thing. There was lots of people borrowing money with loans. Um, it was documented on the blockchain and that turned out not to make much difference in practice because the problem was that um, a lot of these people were borrowing from each other and doing things like doing pass-through funds. I'll pay you 10% because I'm putting all my money into anchoring at 20% and skimming the 10% on top. It turned out they were all in anchor. It was like, inverted pyramid and the point of the pyramid turned out to be a box of hot air and when it collapsed the whole thing fell over and that's like the reasons are the same that is 
greed, not thinking about the consequences. You could make money today and never mind tomorrow, and no one was stopping them. Um, so it sort of it is very the current collapse in crypto is very much a small, self-contained 2008 in a box. Um, it basically is an educational example of if you want to tell people what happened in 2008, it was this but bigger. And so. If I look at the major culprits that really got hit hard throughout this crisis or this crypto contagion, which, by the way, there was no bailout in this crypto contagion, right? Everybody, oh, no. there's has, no Fed, no Fed will rescue anyone. No federal rescue here, right? If 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 Terra and UST had been a licensed, regulated, you know, in Wall Street sort of house. Somebody would have come in and, and given and underwritten all of that. So we wouldn't have had the $60 billion fall that we had, number one. But number two was um, a lot of the actors that entered into this, um, you know, yield hunting, um, you know, party, if you will, for lack of a better name, because all discipline went by the wayside. All actions went by the wayside. And even, you know, big institutional regulated conservative funds put 70% of their money into one fund manager, who, by the way, was, you know, a licensed entity from run by people that came up through proper educational backgrounds, were managing and trained in these regulated yep. houses, and were licensed individuals for doing this, as well as licensed entities, they had bit licenses in New York, they were registered. They advertised the fact that they were FDIC approved. And those were all really the bad actors that really drove us into this, this scheme, which from my perspective is, is that right? You know, is, is, is it, are those the right actors that we're promoting and that the ones that governments feel once they've got that FDIC approval on there or that bit license, they're okay. We can let them run. You know, is that um, a right? Is that a right way? I'm not sure because um, I mean the real problem was that we had institutions like Celsius and Voyager. Yep. They weren't just dealing with crypto people. I mean, crypto traders know risk. They know that precisely how risky all of this is. They know that bad tokens explode all the time. Yeah. And that badly run DeFi's get hacked or rug pulled and less bad ones don't and yeah. um stuff so celsius and voyager were marketing to retail consumers yeah. and that is appalling and reprehensible because they don't understand risk they do not retail customers just are incapable of understanding that risk exists um you know it's and also voyager lied we're your deposits are FDIC insured. No, they aren't. Our deposits are FDIC insured. Yours aren't. That sort of thing. Um, Celsius, I don't know what Celsius thought they were doing. Um, Alex Mashinsky is an extremely good salesman. He's yeah. a very good talker. He yeah. can override anyone. He is, what's coming out shows that he was not very good with the details. Yeah. And the details in Celsius were bad. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's a lawsuit that his um, DeFi trader has put in 
that's allegations. But then we have the stated facts by the company just in the bankruptcy documents. And you go, wow, you have all these real liabilities and all these fake assets. And it's like, what were you doing in there? Um, and he kept doubling down on risk. And it's like, what are you doing? But the thing is that the bad thing about Celsius really is that I, I was shocked to discover they were operating on U.S. soil in New Jersey, marketing to U.S. retail customers, and that the SEC did not stamp on them a year before because that's literally the SEC's job. Yep. In this case, I think that was a failure not of crypto as such, but a failure of regulation yep. because the SEC was literally created to protect retail investors. Yeah. Like... Retail investors, their mum and dad investors, they are incapable of understanding that zero is a number. That's why we have investor protections, because although you arguably, anyone will tell you they have a God-given right to spend their money on magic beans if they think those are good magic beans. Yeah. And they're not wrong. But on the other hand, on average, they're going to be dumb as hell. <laughs> and we know historically what happens when you loosen this stuff up is mum and dad investors get skinned. And that's yeah. political poison. So regulators are finally moving in now that it's all gone and exploded when they should have moved in a year ago and saved everyone their retirement and so on. And it's just terrible. This is going to lead to a lot of regulation on crypto um, simply so that they appear to have done things. I'm not sure that'll be necessarily good regulation, but it's definitely going to happen. So one thing I, I you know, I, I want to step back a bit, right? Your, your first book, 50 Foot Blockchain, right? You wrote that in 2017, right? And which was also in, 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 in another big era of where Bitcoin actually broke or entered into the $20,000 range. And at the time, yeah. that was a huge move, right? That was really big. A lot of people invested into crypto um, and at that time and Bitcoin specifically, and we're investing in all these little projects um, ICOs, that we're building yeah. on the top of Ethereum and doing these ICOs. And you in 2017 in the bull run actually wrote the book and saying, this is all a Ponzi, this is a scam. You know, how, how did you, you're going against the grain here, telling everybody, guys, don't put your money in this, this is really bad. How did you describe the, 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 the reactions you had to deal with going against the current in a market where we're all high on hopium and, 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 and sort of living on that, right? Um, I mean, I started the book in 2016 when yeah. nobody cared. Yeah. Um, I was just writing a book about this amusing thing, which I knew about a bit, because I hung out on Reddit Buttcoin for a few years. Yeah. And um, I expected to sell 300 copies because that's what a self-published book sells. If you've got yep. decent social media, you can sell about 300 easily. More than that, yep. you're a winner. Um, it came out in – I when I finished it, it was like, oh, this bubble started. And um, I did, in fact, realize that a lot of ordinary investors who have no idea how this stuff works were going to get skinned. Yep. Yep. And that's, that's actually quite bad. And I think I – feel I need to speak out about that. So I sort of took the book I'd written, wrote it from that perspective. That was the point of the book, to warn people, and tried to make it comprehensible to ordinary people, and it took off. And it sold like somewhere over 15,000 now, 
which is pretty good for a self-published book on Kindle. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, and it, it's still going. I reread it recently and it's still relevant because it's not about the details. Like, I think quite often the best book ever written about Bitcoin and about cryptocurrency is Extraordinary Popular Delusions by Charles Mackay. That came out in 1841. Okay. It's a book about, um, it's the book that popularized the Dutch tulip bubble. Um, it also talked about the South Sea bubble, which of course is still taught in schools in the UK. Um, John Law's Mississippi land scheme. All these irrational exuberances, asset bubbles. Yep. Um, that's what it's a book about. It's psychology of getting rich for free. Um, I think that's a very important thing to talk about with crypto because for the last year and a half, what's all the marketing been? It's been get in while you can, fear of missing out, get in on the ground floor. Fortune favors the brave. Are you brave enough to give me all your money? That's been all the marketing. There's been a bit of people talking, well, I think it's a store of value for the future, but mostly it was getting rich. The reason people are interested is because the number was going up. That's why yeah. people bothered. That's why they were headlines, you know. And so, yeah. It's it's interesting to me because, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a builder in this space, right? And, yeah. and we actually are coding. We're building the blockchain. I've been in it since 2012. Um, you know, I... I I see the huge opportunity. And what really got me excited was the ability, I could pay you, David, for your book right now over the chats instantaneously at no fees, at no cost, and you would receive the money right away. And to me, that was such a um, novel experience that was unique. And thanks to Bitcoin, was that possible? And at the time, because it wasn't crowded, it actually happened in, in fast and it was cheap to do so. And so that's really what got me interested. And even today, if you look and you ask around, you know, the people actually active building, working and creating in this space is at the top end, maybe 10 million people in DeFi uh, at, at most, right? Um, and then I think if you then look into the grander scheme of things, um, with all these centralized institutions, maybe we've got about 500,000 people on the Binance. They've got uh, 500 million people, sorry, not 500,000, um, that are on Binance, that are on Coinbase. They've got an ETF. They have in some form or fashion through a fund that they own or through an indirect mechanism access to a Bitcoin or a cryptocurrency in, that, in, in, some, in some form or fashion. Would you think that that's about uh, sort of, does that sort of resonate with you? Or do you feel there were more people that were actually coming in and, and, and being sort of um, misrepresented uh, or the opportunities were misrepresented to them uh, as they invested into Bitcoin or cryptocurrencies in some way? I mean, the trouble with crypto as an investment, yeah. not as a mechanism or as a cap form of cash in itself. Yeah. If you're into crypto for the dollars, yeah. then it's a zero-sum trading environment or yeah. slightly negative after fees and mining and so on. Yeah. Every dollar a winner makes, a loser lost. And there's the unfortunate element where early investors can only be paid with money coming in from later investors. And where there's no money in it, there's only money flowing in and flowing out. Yeah. There's no sort of 
great big pile of dollars there. Well, there's a few great big piles of dollars, but you know what I mean. Um, DeFi and so on is a much, much more complicated way of apportioning out the um, eventually Bitcoins or Ethers, yeah. which are then turned into dollars or not. Um, so the problem with this is that it basically, the way it actually worked was a lot of money came in from naive retail investors and went to the big guys. And that was basically the process. Um, and now they've got these crypto tokens, which they can hold as souvenirs because they can't get much money back out of it. Um, it's, I, it's, so it has a number of problems as a retail investment. Yeah. You can totally make money in crypto. Yeah. But the other factor is, I think, particularly for those sort of retail investors who remain my moral cause. Um, yeah. I, I love talking about this stuff because it's actually quite fascinating. It's but huge, I do right? have to remember that real people have been hurt quite badly, most recently by Voyager and um, Celsius, but also previously. So the trouble is that people are too used. Don't, people don't understand either what an unregulated market is because they're not used to those. They're used to regulated markets like the stock market through the 20s was extremely like crypto is now. It was an unregulated market or barely regulated. Um, you could sue people over shenanigans with money. It was quite hard, but you could build these towering, amazing financial instruments, um, derivatives of derivatives and so on. And the, they partied so hard, they broke the economy. Um, the Black Friday crash in 1929, which led into the Great Depression. The SEC was started uh, by um, people who wanted to be able to issue stocks, issue equity stocks, but the public were out, still outraged. So they put all these rules on, like rules like you're not allowed to lie, which turned out to be new. You know, um, you'd think that would be a pretty good rule to have. You can't make material misrepresentations or omissions. It's a pretty good rule. So people got used to this the equities markets. I mean, there's a lot to object to, certainly, in the way it works. And if you see a bad regulation, you should absolutely push back against it. But I, th I really think that a well-functioning market needs regulation on it, or it rapidly becomes not a well-functioning market. Crypto itself, um, it's literally unregulated as a market. You have Coinbase or Gemini or whatever, they're under New York regulation. Um, they're relatively well behaved, monitored by the government to some degree, uh, but that's not where the volume is. The volume and the price discovery happens on the unregulated offshore exchanges on Binance, Huobi, FTX, non-US and so on. Um, there's, and there's been incredible claims that Binance trades against its own customers. Um, there's credible claims that Binance is extremely sloppy with sanctions regulations, for example. Um, I don't think they're doing it deliberately. I think they just don't care. You know, um, people have forgotten that these are literally unregulated markets, that no one is keeping an eye on things, and that the only constraint they have 
is not to spook the customers. So I would argue that Binance has 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 you know significantly supported the growth of the crypto industry. Nobody yeah. has lost their money on Binance. None of their customers have ever lost any money. Not been defrauded. Um, for the sake, at the cost of innovation, simplicity, and 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 progress, right? From that perspective, Binance. I think, I think the credible claims that Binance was trading against its own customers do actually count. Maybe maybe those I don't know, and and I I, I haven't really looked into that, but I do think that they've hired lots of new talent created new jobs that weren't here before, launched a decentralized exchange where, again, that's created more different types of jobs. Um, and by the government not actually embracing that and saying, ooh, this is something that we want to have on ground and figure out how we can handhold this. Instead, we've got a police out there who's randomly going after anybody that he feels I can go and get money from. I will then go and try and put them in jail whereby regulation is a good thing. And I, I do think that the intent that you have in terms of trying to regulate this is, is the right thing. But when it goes, yeah. uh, my fear is that nine times out of 10, regulation goes crooked. Regulate, regulators become fraudulent and become self-serving. And then that there's- the thing that can happen. Yeah. This is why pushing back is very important on regulations. Yeah. Yeah. You should absolutely push back on bad regulations. But the crypto, the Bitcoin dream was to have a market with no regulations. And I just don't think that was realistic because it's money. Money exists in the context of a society and people have very particular ideas about how you handle other people's money. Yeah. Like they get really upset about that stuff. So I think to a large extent, regulations, some sort of regulation emerges from society. The SEC wasn't an initiative by the government. It was a matter of public demand. If you want to do this stuff, you're going to have to do it properly. Um, that sort of thing. And yeah, I mean, all the but stuff you say, these are things that happen and you have to push back against it. And that's yeah. great. Don't they, yeah, don't they hide behind the government? And to me, the government has become all powerful and self-serving. They're professional politicians now that actually look after more after them, their personal gains than they do for the benefit of the nation that they're supposed to be representing. And, and, and I fear that how do we avoid this big overreaching hand telling us how to live our lives without actually listening to us? And every time somebody comes up and tries to be a pushback to a bit, you know, the FBI knocks down my door or, you know, some 50,000 lawyers from the attorney general comes and throws 50,000 wafts at me. And we've all, no matter what, we've all not filled out a pro form properly. We've all done some sort of something rather that might not be, you know, the best thing. And any lawyer can come up and pick us up and stick us in jail because there's some law that was written in 1860 that said if you did not fill that form out properly and you had your name misspelled, you can go to jail for 99 years, right? And so how do we protect and build a regulatory framework or more importantly, build a framework where individuals learn how to educate themselves like we do as individuals to learn how to walk, run, crawl, you know, walk, uh, crawl, walk, run. Um, 
I mean, you're stating a problem there in a viewpoint that is a widely held and respected one, that is that governments are annoying and get in your face, yeah. <laughs> which is one that I think has a lot to it. Yeah. Um, I'm, I don't have an instant answer, but I'm pretty sure it isn't crypto. Okay. <laughs> you know, arguing that crypto solves this problem is a completely different claim. And, and, and I'm not, I'm, so I'm far, not, I'm not seeing a lot of evidence. Yeah, and, and, and I'm not saying crypto is the solution to that. And I'm, I, I, I feel education is a really important element, right? I mean, education mm. and how we educate the population is really important. I also feel that, um, um, you know, there are so many other angles. I mean, and, and this maybe comes to the second nature of, I mean, you know, is a tech company the right solution? Which is sort of why your second book is really interesting, right? Yeah, um, it's um, the whole thing about that is that you can't work around, you can't really work around social problems with technology. Like yeah. that has been a core proposition of the sort of Silicon Valley and internet dream since the nineties. Yeah. I remember this quite well. I've been there the entire time. Sure. You have to. And um, the thing is, it never actually works out. Um, with Libra, the thing Facebook were proposing. Now, if you, you, I, did you look at their proposal in detail? Because it was very similar to yeah. a lot of proposals from ICOs in yeah. 2018 era. You know, we will do a currency. It'll be backed by a basket of goods or whatever of, of, of money or assets. Yeah. yeah. And it was really much the same proposal but the difference is that when you're at scale everything is different yeah if you're small regulators will say fine whatever be, yeah. be innovative just don't break any laws yeah oh you broke a pile of laws here are the laws you broke please don't do it again oh you broke even more laws yeah now we're going to find you the sec's the sec's um regulation of icos was remarkably gentle for a regulator because they started off by saying please don't do this then they went to saying really stop doing this we're not going to find you just don't do it, it was only after that they got stronger on it and even then yeah. they're still dealing with only the most egregious clear scams four years later you know the sec doesn't do things except when it does but it doesn't do them very much so there's a lot to argue with there too yeah like why couldn't they get on with getting on with going after Celsius a year ago? That sort of thing. Um, in terms of Libra, because they were busy Facebook, going after. <laughs> so it's interesting because Libra was started by four very sincere Bitcoiners inside yep. Facebook, right? Um, Morgan Bella, David Marcus, um, Christian Catalini, and Kevin Weil. Yeah. Everything they said they were doing, I I fully believe they wanted to do. You know. Like David Marcus, it was interesting re writing up and researching this guy because yep. I my opinion of David Marcus went way up. Um, yep. I'd spoken to ex-employees of his who talked about what an annoying boss he was. Unfortunate, some people just annoy their employees. Yep. But everything he's ever said, he's been sincere about. Um, he's always been a very sincere guy. If he says things, he tries to do them. He says things, he means them. He says a plan. He wants to do it. If it doesn't work out, he says so. Basically, he's a guy of integrity. Yep. Um, then he took the scheme to Mark Zuckerberg. Now, to speak precisely, Mark Zuckerberg has an unfortunate 
discrepancy between what he says and what he then does, and then what he says afterwards, and then when he does it again. He's been caught lying repeatedly. That's a matter of historical record and documented facts and $5 billion fines. Um, so I trust David Marcus's word. I don't trust Mark Zuckerberg's, based on observed historical evidence. That's a very I'm based in the UK type phrasing for that sort of claim. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, what impressed me by Dave, I must say, when I saw the hearing where David Marcus was invited to Washington, D.C. to go mm. and, uh, and to, at that hearing, I mean, I thought he was an amazingly eloquent, uh, very detailed. He did very uh, well. Amazingly articulate and had to put up with some very, I mean, really tough questions that he held his cool every time, which was extremely impressive. Yeah, yeah. but basically, but they were both politicians of both parties. This was not a partisan issue. Oh, no, They were upset because their job is to, the US dollar is this, they said it blatantly. We use dollars so we don't have to send soldiers, which is preferable. But, you know, the US... The U.S. is an economic empire based on the power of the U.S. dollar. That makes the U.S. a much richer country than it would be without that. Right. And they weren't going to accept someone doing a large private currency at scale. Um, because the thing was that Facebook didn't really understand what they were doing. They didn't understand the obvious consequences of what they were doing. When regulators told them, look, you're creating systemic risk here, and we remember 2008, they said, look, that doesn't matter because we've got backing. Like, okay. so, so did the money market funds, you know. Um, other things like somehow this economist, Rich, Christian Catalini, had forgotten yeah. that a major collapse had happened 11 years before, yeah. and then he wanted to set up something that works like a large money market fund and that would be not distributing dollars to inside the corporate world of finance, but actual retail dollars that went into the economy and did economic work. And there was no way that governments were going to put up with this for good reason. You know, um, there's a lot to it. Somehow I wrote a book where the central bankers turned out to be the good guys. Um, that's, that's quite a trick. <laughs> but Facebook were actually worse because... Central banks are actually public institutions. They believe their job is economic stability. Some of the things they do could do with a bit of work on that one. But, you know, they're, but they're, there's a lot of sincere people and they're trying to do the actual job well. Um, I, like, got a, about three, three of my early readers were central bankers who went through the book and went, yeah, that's about right. So, you know... Um, the thing was that Facebook thought that they could do their own private money. Um, basically, Zuckerberg hates the idea of regulation. He hates the idea that anyone can tell him how he swings around his money. Trouble is that a large amount of money is power, and other people may think that actually that amount of power is also their business, and it's his money, but... You know, that doesn't mean he can just swing it around how he likes. Um, these are serious matters of public concern. And there's also debate. It's his money. But that's why these issues are fraught and complicated. I think 
my my takeaway was really the big stumbling block was number one he launched a, he launched uh, Libra with a basket of currencies, and the U.S. was upset number one that it wasn't just U.S. dollars. Why aren't you backing it with U.S. dollars? And then number two, to your point, I've got three billion users. I've got a nation that is bigger than China and most of the world a combined. A sized user base, yeah, exactly. And I can I have the skill sets in my nation, if you will that actually can, this networked nation, that actually knows how to convert this coin or this token into an actual product that can be used for driving and facilitating commerce and bringing this networked nation closer together with really global trade. And ultimately, all of a sudden, and I don't need a 15,000 bureaucracies and, and, and bureaus and, and departments to help me get to that level. I need, I mean, I mean, maybe it is, I need me <laughs> um, to do that or me and David to do that, right? And so maybe that was sort of what got the uncertainty um, and created that uncertainty. But Bitcoin was, as in its nature, was fully decent. There was no me, there was no individual there. There was a very decentralized movement of people that wanted and were seeking out. And that was um, why, yeah, anyway, so I feel that oh, that... Yeah. Bitcoin yeah. was a political project. It wasn't a technology yeah. project at all. No, but it was an amalgamation of you know, you know, lots of different, I don't know how many, but lots of different innovations that happened over the course of 20 years in the internet that sort of culminated into wow, Bitcoin, actually, all of a sudden, it works. All of these ideas that were created by different individuals, different research, security issues, the tradability, the fungibility issues, etc. all of a sudden, that was culminated in actual product itself. But I think, mm. do you not find, in, I mean, you, do you find something positive in, in crypto itself? I mean, where do you see sort of the positive elements in there, or are there none itself? I mean, um... it has uh, cryptocurrency's only use case. Yep. really is working around regulations. Now that's okay. not necessarily bad. Okay, some regulations are stupid. Yeah, um, sometimes they need to be worked around. Yeah, but it's not a stable use case for obvious reasons. Um, yep. And it can serve as a pushback against regulators. That's a useful function. Okay. Um, it has a lot of serious problems. Um, but as I said, um, as a speculative asset, it in a asset bubbles are basically bad. Um, I don't. I think asset bubbles can stimulate growth, but also a lot of people get ripped off in the process. I'm not sure they're actually good at all. Um, I've seen arguments they are. Those aren't sometimes solid arguments, you know, they present opportunities in a large pile of funding for stuff. Yeah. Um, but, you know, Amazon would have happened without the dot-com bubble. Because yeah. um, Bezos knew what he was doing, <laughs> fundamentally. He knew exactly what he was doing with that business. He knew exactly what his ambitions were. And he did not need a dot-com bubble um, to achieve the world's biggest general store um, yeah. from a small bookshop, which is pretty yeah. cool. So that's what crypto encourages a lot of new, it encourages people to look at these ideas and think about them. And that's not bad. I mean, 
I didn't know anything about finance or economics, really. I do a bit. Um, then I had to research this stuff. So I had to learn really quickly. Yeah. yeah. Like if you're doing, I, I, I used to be a music journalist many years ago. So I've done journalism. And then I got into IT because it pays a lot better. But yeah. I, I knew the basic, I, I did understand the basic task. So when you do journalism, you are not expected to know everything about everything. Yeah. You are expected to ask the people who do. Yeah. So I basically had to educate myself super fast yeah. and run my ideas past people who know things. Yeah. And so, you know, it, it's educational. And you, you learn things you want to pass on what you've learned to others. Um, yeah. Some of my most perennially popular articles on the blog are explainers. Like, yeah. Here is how to read a depth chart. That sort yeah. of thing. Yeah. Um, because people want to know this stuff. So it's, I think there's been quite a lot of actually bad stuff caused by crypto, um, but sure, we can find a few things that um, it's useful for. Um, as I said, there is a small use case. Yeah. There definitely yeah. is. Because, um, you know, working in regulations is often good. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's not a stable situation and actually most regulations exist for reasons and so yeah it's a, it's a tricky one i i feel there is no so quick answer to any of this no i no, think that's and, the most important point is there is no quick answer to any of this if anyone says i've got one weird trick to save society they don't i think the world is too complex today and too intertwined to have a quick answer. But mm. I think one of the things that we believe, you know, is that, and, and when I say we, I maybe I mean the royal we, I believe, is that creating a new system that users or participants or people can opt into if they like is, is what we're trying to do. How do we create a new system that is self-governing, that has a lot of the governance on chain, and that society and it's governed largely by society or its communities, right? And I mean, in essence, communities shift, they come, if they like you, they stay with you, if they don't, they'll move on, right? And, and in a digital realm, it is super easy to move away from one protocol onto another protocol and join mm. one telegram group into the next telegram group that's doing a very similar thing, but the people there are nicer, they're friendlier, I can plug and play, they have a better user interface, um, they offer a better yield in some cases, uh, that's what they will try to do to opt me into that and lure me off my loyalty to that other uh, other element, right? But, but that is really where I feel we've tried to build and we will go back to building, right? You've gone through the 2017 crisis or 18 meltdown, and we're now going through another one. But each yeah. time we all worried regulators were going to come in and, and tighten us and put handcuffs on us. And then they, they changed ICOs. We found a new way to innovate and, and build. People stayed in crypto land. Some people went home. The tourists left. But actually, we had new immigrants. I don't like that phrasing. The tourists. Okay. Okay. These are the people who were who supplied your liquidity. I th yeah, when that's Bitcoin true. Magazine tweeted that thing. Goodbye, tourists. We're still here. Yeah. They were talking to the people whose money they just cashed out through. Yeah. That is I, I, extremely disrespectful. Those are the people they skinned. Those yeah. are the victims. They're the people that dismissing them. Oh, you're just a bunch of tourists. 
they're the people who cash, helped you cash out. So that that does apply to certain individuals, right? And, and, and some of us are still here. And I've been here since 2012. I'm not running away. I definitely sure, enjoy. Absolutely. I, I enjoy I mean, people coming in and spending money here and the liquidity. But I also feel I got hurt a hell of a lot because 99% of my assets are in this coin that you that everybody's sort of fleeing from right yeah. now and they're draining the system so Absolutely. rapidly at a velocity because everybody got drunk and and my argument is that it was the government's fault who printed 30 trillion dollars worth of money around the world new money came into the ecosystem of which basically 95 percent went into stocks and into crypto and into bonds and into all other financial assets where people I'm could not make sure i slip crypto in there because there's okay. also the little detail that Tether suddenly went from $3 billion issuance to $80 billion. Yeah. Um, well, $80 Tethers, um, it's, yeah. it's highly questionable that those are all dollars. I still think they've only got about $2 billion actual dollars. Um, the, you can, in a thin market, you can do quite a lot with that much yeah. um, pseudo-dollars. <laughs> so um, I've also, um, there's also a paper, I forget the author's name, which says which detailed with charts how the prices of neither bitcoin nor ether respond to regulatory signals um that is they literally correlated things like fed announcements and so on against bitcoin and ether's price and trading volume thing is that yeah. this is a very thin commodities market it doesn't behave like a regulated you, talking about fed signals and government spending and money and so on that's um, treating this like a well-regulated high-volume market like no. stocks, which it isn't. It's no. a small no. commodities market with a few producers, a few consumers, no regulation. This is why you see things like BART formations. That's You see those in small commodities like rare metals or something. Small markets with little regulation, you see that sort of thing all the time because external influences like Fed, Fed announcements and so on are absolutely swamped by the internal manipulation, such as traders rigging the market to win a margin bet, which drove a lot of the wild swings in the Bitcoin price over 2018 to 2020. You know, that is, it was cheaper to rig a bet, rig the price on Coinbase or Bitstamp. You'd, it would cost less than you'd make from your margin bet on BitMEX. And that holds even if all three institutions are completely honest, by the way, because it's the structure of the market. No, no so I it's agree. A, with it's that. a really tricky one. No, um, it, it's I, definitely. I, I, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Sorry. Um, it is true that uh, there was a lot of wild money flowing around and sort of like I thought that crypto would become better behaved with time, become a more regular sort of market. In 2020, the way I put it is stocks turned into shit coins. That is, cheap, bad stocks started behaving like cryptos. Yeah. And when board traders on Robinhood send the price of Hertz going up when Hertz was literally bankrupt and worth zero, like when you're bankrupt, your company value is literally zero. Yeah. And they sent the stock up because they liked it. Yeah. Now, as it happened, Hertz's troubles were temporary. Chapter 11 was appropriate because once planes started flying again, there was demand for rental cars, and they are back and healthy again. So, but yeah, it was, 
2020 is, I, I would not blame large amounts of money printing there, although I would blame the fact that they did not put that money into the actual economy. They put it in stocks. In stocks. That was not the correct action. If you want to stimulate an economy, give the money to the poor people. Yeah. Basically, Hayek was wrong, Keynes was right, is my view. Um, I don't know about give, if give you money. If you capitalism, do it Keynes' way. The successful, the successful stock trader Keynes. Yeah, he made a bundle. He was he was super hot trader. I mean, I, I feel that we we need to educate the people and invest in infrastructure that supports the everyday people of, of a country to be able to participate and be prosperous. Right. I think. One thing that I look back coming to your analogy into after the 2018 meltdown of Bitcoin, yeah, yeah. You know, we went through a very painful winter because we, every all that money again was extracted out of the system. And we were, yeah. you know, only the true believers sort of stayed in. We're building. We're trying was, to work. work that's through why the prices were really interesting because you see you'd see Bitcoin go from 8,000 to 13,000. You go, wow, does this mean people like Bitcoins much more now? Well, no, it doesn't. It's manipulation because look at the tether issue. We went, we went all the way down to pretty much, we went all the way down to 3,000. And then we sort of had yes. to work our way back to maybe 9,000. We got to 9,000 again after three years of hardship, you know, working through to build it. I mean, we had swings up to 13,000. It then dropped back to 7,000. So we had these swings because it's not a very mature market. So that set aside, but we worked really hard to build somewhat of a fundamental you know grow platform of nine thousand. then the government's hit and we you know the covid hit and then it was correlated with the exact stock stock markets that dropped down like crazy i remember yeah, I'm seeing the tvs when everything went red 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 and crypto yep. all of that work that we did lost right went down to three thousand right bang damn it we're we're tied to the same situation and regulations and, and governments did impact that. However, we recovered much quicker and we got drunk at that same time in that recovery because all of this money was injected into the ecosystem and also into the crypto markets, which actually then ballooned the market all the way up to 70,000. I mean, was there a period, by the way, when we were up at 70,000, did you ever question that Bitcoin was going to, uh, you know, sort of, go wrong you know you were wrong or, or you it's all of a sudden now this is thing gonna fly or or yeah <laughs> did that ever, uh, did that ever have like that? Yeah. i could see i i could see what was happening because at that point um like the big the bubble in april to sixty four thousand. Yeah. i think the actual asset bubble was only from february to june 2021 yeah, it was short. an elon driven bubble yeah, because up until early February, it was peculiarly bloodless. There wasn't the retail volume you'd expect, sort of. But once Elon Musk bought Bitcoins for Tesla and publicized the fact, that was a buy signal for ordinary people. Yeah. Um, it, that was really the moment it went mainstream. And he's since and then, sold What do you think? Then that? he sold it in May. And yeah. made Tesla's quarterly numbers, which yeah. is, after all, his job. Yeah. And if a company buys an asset and sells it to make their numbers, they're doing their job. They're doing their job. But then consumer interest went down, price dropped to 30. Um, the stablecoin printers started going wild around this time. Yeah. Um, I mean, 
So they pumped 69,000. I'm not entirely sure there was as much retail volume as there should have been. It's hard to tell because retail volume is hard to see. Yeah. But it looked very like there was some sort of weird shenanigan going on there. Um, now, things kept going for ages. I think a lot of what happened was, as I said, um, Tether was printing. Then they stopped because the, there was too much heat from regulators. Um, the thing about regulators in crypto, as long as you care about US dollars, you're going to have regulation. If you, are interest, if you want to deal with real money, real money will take an interest in you. That means the regulators of the US dollar will take an interest in crypto to the extent it is hooked to the US dollar economy. Um, there's no getting away from that. No. Um, so, you know, the regulation is the regulation affect it, but deal with the fact. Um, so the markets tried to keep going, but we had, they were so desperate for dollar tokens that they used UST. Yeah. And UST, of course, was nonsense and yeah. exploded because someone went, I can make some money trashing that. So they did because, you know, it's a market <laughs> and it took out everyone. I feel like the market was kept going longer than it would have been. There was that massive promotional push for NFTs and for Web3, whatever that is. Yeah. The un an undefined marketing term, which I'm very skeptical of because I can never find out what it is. <laughs> but I did favor that uh, there was a Bloomberg headline in April 2021, which called NFTs a stimulus-led fad, which is the politest way I've ever heard anyone call the market fake. Um, but there was a huge amount of promotion through late 2021, early 2022, celebrities promoting NFTs because CAA, who represented them, has a share of OpenSea. Um, the NFT market seemed to be part of the Bitcoin bubble because it was crypto traders. Crypto traders were trading NFTs. Um, it wasn't, they, they sort of didn't bother with the fine art market so much once they got discovered that board apes were where the money was. And I mean, fine, it's a trading commodity, but it's, yeah. Um, and that's promotion stopped and the NFT market volumes have now gone down. I think one thing that, 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 that I mean, ultimately, I mean, there are assets, again, as you mentioned, in crypto and in, in blockchains that allow and that are positive, right? It allows for create, I mean, particularly in the NFT space, as all of us sort of, you know, if the royalties get shared to the creators, there's a way for them to participate in the future uh, growth. There's a of lot that. of if there. I mean, it's yeah, one sure. of those things where the benefits are in the future, but the grim realities are in the present. Um, if the but bad stuff is in the present and the good stuff's in the future, then talking about the future is often used as a way to distract from the bad stuff in the present. And Maybe. the thing is, there's a, there are, of course, a lot of artistic possibilities in NFTs. I'm a big fan of conceptual art. You know, I think it's great stuff. You know, selling experiences and you get a souvenir. That's actually really cool. Yeah. But as long as, the thing is that as long as these are crypto assets trade on trade for traders, um, that's actually going to quash all the other uses because it'll immediately just become a thing for the traders. It's, um, yeah. I mean, I mean when you talk about possibilities of NFTs, you're talking about what are the boundless possibilities of a piece of paper and a pen? You can yeah. do anything with, with those because it's that generic an object, you know. 
it's a it's a piece of data on a blockchain. It it it's a piece of paper. It's a numbered piece of paper. You can write anything on the piece of paper. What could you do with that? It's so broad as to be almost meaningless. And yeah, <laughs> what's your view? Just just interested to hear your view on this this central bank digital currencies, right? These CBDCs. Um, Europe just went out today and announced some big, you know, we're going to back, you know, European CBDCs as the way to drive payments going forward. What's your view on that, given all the studies that you've done on what Facebook's been trying to do, crypto itself? What's your view on, on governments actually getting into digital currencies? So a lot of this stuff has nothing really to do with crypto or blockchains. Um, it was in, It was inspired by. Yeah, that's very important. I think Jean-Paul Koning, who basically came up with all the ideas first, uh, he um, wrote about this his plan for his Fed coin, which he was basically proposing a blockchain-based token um, that held dollars, and the Fed could create or destroy them at will. Um, so it was inspired by that, but then the sort of realities hit. The thing about a central bank digital currency is we have digital money. It's commercial bank digital currency. You know, um, I'm in the UK, you're in Germany. Um, we have cards. We spend yeah. money. It works. It just works. It, it lacks in the peer-to-peer -peer thing. That's an important deficiency. I can send you money on a card, but I have to mess around with bank address, bank account numbers and so on. I can't just hand you a £10 note. And but, um, ease the expenses associated with it because there's so many middlemen, right? Yeah. Well, with faster payments in the UK and CEPA and EU, it's free. But yeah. if you, um, but the point is, it's excessively annoying, and that's a problem. But the trouble is that there isn't a lot. The thing that CBDC plans have had, the problem is there isn't a lot of use cases. They don't have a good consumer use case. Um, now, they worry about this stuff because they need this stuff to be a cash equivalent without being a cash equivalent. Yeah. Um, the money laundering regulations stop them. Um, I'm not a big fan of the anti-money laundering regulations, in fact. I okay. think that they're often, they don't work very well at the top level and they're extremely overreaching at the consumer level. Yeah. However, they are the regulation we have, deal with it. So. That's the sort of, it, we have this regulation, so it's the, it's the business environment we have. Can um, we fight those, right? I mean, you, you mentioned earlier, right, that we can leverage the blockchain to be able to, yeah, resist or fight, push back on regulation that we don't think is good. How would we push back on, like an example of the AML that we don't think is good? It is, we can't just resign to the fact that this, it is overreaching and it is not doing the serving the purpose that it was there for. How do we how do we push back to that? It's a tricky one because um, right. I think any solution is going to be political, not um, merely technology. Um, yeah. If you money if you evade money laundering regulations on a blockchain, then you're evading money laundering regulations, and they will bust you if they can, yeah. and because they have done repeatedly. Yeah. Um, the recent FATF um, recommendations, when the FATF is an international body, when it recommends stuff, local national regulators follow those recommendations because if they don't, no one will want to do business with them. Um, 
that's mostly driven not just by FinCEN, but also by the EU, um, basically. So the new rule is um, the travel rule. That is, crypto transactions have to be more traceable. Um, basically, if it touches the system where real money lives. Like, if I send you half a Bitcoin, then I can just do that. But if um, you try to cash it out, then someone is going to be required to ask you about its provenance. Um, that's the rules at present. They consider crypto is risky for this stuff, so they put in rules for it. Um, I think, I mean, I think it could be heading towards a two-speed crypto economy. One is regulated institutions that touch actual money easily, and the other is less regulated stuff that doesn't touch money nearly as easily, and there's a bit of a gap between the two. I don't. I could be wrong on that. Um, it just feels like it's going to go that way. I mean, more regulation yeah. was definitely happening because if there's actual money in it, in, in this crypto thing, then the regulators of actual money are going to show up, you know, um, annoying as they are, and often helpful. Nice bureaucrats who will certainly help you do things. I mean, I think that crypto is a lot harsher on some regulators than it really should be because the C SEC and CFTC they're not their job is not to be the humorless cops their job is to keep business going they're very fa they're fans of business the sec's mission statement says facilitate capital formation they literally want you to go out and make a great big pile of money you just have to follow the rules because they also want to protect investors but they're very frightened of being seen to quell business yeah. That's very. That's something they're very frightened of. I mean, the SEC, 2016 to 2020, um, Jake Clayton was put there by a um, Republican administration. You know, the rules were absolutely as open and free as they could be. And even he looked at ICOs and went, yeah, no, those are unregistered securities because they mostly were. That sort of thing. Um, the, what was I saying? So the regulators don't act do actually want business to happen. What they tend to do is say, you're doing a thing? Fine, do the thing. Don't yeah. break any laws. Yeah. But then you have FinCEN and FATF. They are the humorless cops. They will squash you like a bug if you mess them around. So, yeah, there's a lot of problems with AML. I'm not sure how to fix it. <laughs> if I had a solution, I'd be proposing it. And then that's partially what we tried, you know, sort of there, there was this whole underlying philosophy around separating state from money, right? Very much mm. like we tried to separate state and church, right? And, um, and I'm not sure know, that's comparable. I'm not sure that's a good analogy. Well, I think I we're going think back we can... to the opposite anyway. It's, it's coming together again, it seems. Insofar like, as society has states, you're going to have um, people who think there should be rules and want, and want a regulator. So I think that Money is going to be regulated because um, it's um, uh, people want to be sure about money and property rights and that their money is theirs and so on. Um, I mean, money is theirs in a legal sense, which is not necessarily identical to the blockchain sense because you know um, it, it law is held it isn't. You know. Yep. Um, the reason that, that it is possible to hack someone and steal their money on the blockchain because we have separate concepts of blockchain ownership and legal ownership. If I hack your DeFi protocol for 
100,000 ether. Those aren't my ether now. I'm a thief, you know. Yeah. I mean, they might be mine in practice, but legally they're not, and I would be a criminal who could be arrested. And that would be correct. No, that would, I mean, you know, I think what the, the core philosophy that, you know, sort of most of participants that I met in, 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 in crypto land that actually are native to crypto land. I mean, you know, the, so, you know, stealing is, is definitely not a good thing. Uh, own, being able to own your own property, your keys, your money, your coins, right? That's, that's something that we all very much live by. Oh, yeah. Um, and, and, and then ultimately also don't, you know, kill death. I mean, no, no, we don't think you should be threatened physically either, right? That, that's something that we really, yes, yes. uh, want to avoid so uh no non-violence revel i mean there's a reason why we call it the non-violent revolution right yeah. i mean um but but either way it's just um trying to i you know my takeaway from here today is really one of the things is that if as long as we sort of stay in crypto land and don't have any sort of ins and outs into the fiat world and if we can have uh, a tradability within a currency that we all mm. accept and appreciate as a value, then I think we're in a, on safer grounds and can yeah. try to, you know, Completely. not lure people into that. This is used not as a trading asset, but as a, a, a means of currency. exchange. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, I think it was a big problem for Bitcoin that it didn't build out its own economy. Yeah, it just failed to. It tried to. We tried to. Yeah. You know, I mean, I was watching hey, I mean, that in the early days, yeah. in the first few years, yeah. when Bitcoiners tried really hard to promote it as actual currency, yeah. and then it turned out that merchants would switch on accept Bitcoin, then they'd switch it off because no one used it, and they get more emails of complaint than people ever used it. Yeah. It turned out Bitcoiners didn't use Bitcoin as currency either. It yeah. turns out they were in it for the dollars. Um, ever since you could first exchange Bitcoins for dollars, like 2011 era, when Mt. Gox, I think, was the first time you could reliably change Bitcoins for dollars. Um, like that, that was the time when the scammers flocked in because they are scammers are persistent. A lot of these people turned out to be previous scammers. A lot of them had criminal histories, you know. The Butterfly Labs guys, remember those? The guys who sold the Bitcoin miners that they wore out and started after six months. They'd been convicted for mail fraud. <laughs> These guys were crooks. And then they, they, it wasn't that Bitcoin had induced criminality. It was that Bitcoin, that crooks saw Bitcoin as an opportunity, which is different, you know. Um, but then you have to do things about that. How, what can you do about this? It, it, it's a problem that any community has to face especially one founded around freedom. You see this in online communities. Like, how do you moderate a community based on free discourse um, is basically the problem of how do you deal with a bad faith actor? Yeah. Who, especially a polite bad faith actor who knows how to use words nicely. Yeah. It, it, these are human problems. Yeah, these are real yeah. world problems. They don't have answers. Not easy one. But I do, I do feel that we cannot build a global society around, you know, trying to fence in the 90% of good actors, good faith actors and participants in this society, you know, fencing them in so rigidly 
that to protect us against those five or ten percent bad actors, right? Um, and 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 I, and I don't think that's the right way to go about sure. things. Um, how do we fix that? I think that I mean, my I'm still a believer in that the blockchain and cryptocurrencies is a way to do that. It is not for everybody. Um, and it has to become a means of exchange and it has to be used for peer to peer transactions as well as for commerce. Mm. Um, and until we reach that point, we, we, we have a long way to go in that path. Until basically it can be used for food and rent. No one's going to really care that much. Exactly. Exactly. Um, I must go soon. We're running. Oh, we, this has been great. (laughs) I must go. Thank you, David. Uh, really good. Uh, maybe you could share where can people follow you and, and should, you know, can they buy their book? Is there a website? And we'll put the link yep. in the bottom. But So my website, if you look for David Gerard Bitcoin, you'll find me. Okay. Um, DavidGerard.co.uk, that's my website. I'm David Gerard on Twitter. Um, I'm quite easily contactable. Um, my Twitter is very strident and I don't apologize for any of it. My blog is... A little less strident, but not much less. Um, and I try to say what back up what I say, except on Twitter where you've got 280 characters. So I'll just say, yeah, that's good. <laughs> yeah, well, thank you very much for your time. Really appreciate you. that you've taken out for the holiday and, and, and come on to this podcast. And um, yeah, look for, I really enjoyed this debate. I liked uh, your points of views and, and really, you know, um, Hope that you had a, enjoyed it as well. So thank you very much. Stay super excited. Um, and and, <laughs> and uh, yeah, thank you very much. Thank, thank you. you. David. This was Stefan Roost and David Gerard. You can follow David on Twitter at David Gerard. That's D-A-V-I-D-G-E-R-A-R-D. You can also follow Stefan on Twitter at srust99, that's S-R-U-S-T-9-9. And you can find the Super Excited with Stefan Roost podcast on all major podcast platforms and on YouTube on the Stefan Roost channel. Thank you for listening. Thank you.